You are listening to Keystone's Stock Talk Show, episode 244. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook, and keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. It's great to be back again this week, just ahead of the announcement of our first webinars of 2024. Aaron will start us off with a quick summary of how to invest in artificial intelligence or AI. We'll then hit the proverbial mailbag to answer some viewer questions, starting with me. I'll be answering a question on Sandstorm Gold, symbol SSL on the TSX, a precious metal streaming and royalty company. The viewer asks why the share price has performed poorly over the past year as the price of gold has moved higher. I will let you know. Sticking with the gold thing, Brett answers a viewer question on Nulox Gold Ventures, symbol LUX on the Canadian Securities Exchange. The company focuses on niche reprocessing of gold within Latin America. While this Canadian nanocap produces revenue, Brett will let you know if it has the scale to become profitable. Finally, Brennan answers a viewer question on Well Health Technology, symbol W-E-L-L on the TSX, which provides omni-channel healthcare services, including primary care and allied health clinic operations, including gastrointestinal, mental disorders, specialized care, diagnostic services, and telehealth services. We last reviewed the company and recommended listeners avoid the stock. Brennan lets you know if our outlook has changed. All right, let's get to the show. We welcome my co-host, Mr. Aaron Dunn and the Killer Bees. Brett and Brennan, how are you guys doing? Good weekend? Good week? Good, good, good. I heard it's snowing where you are, Brennan. Yeah. Saskatoon. it's snowing cats and dogs right now. Yeah, it's supposed last to night snow out here on Tuesday. That yeah, that is news. It's probably this part of the same situation. My kids system. have already gotten three snow days. So, wow, it's unheard of in Saskatchewan. Yeah, never had one of those. There's not yeah. no such thing as a snow day in Saskatchewan. I, I never had one through grade school. I can tell you that much. I might snow have had one when it was too assumed, cold. Right? But snow days are when they actually have school for an extra two hours. Yeah, you get it's snowed in the right. school. Yeah. yeah, and and the, they get snowed in when there's this much snow. That's about it. We can't get out. No, 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 no. That's Vancouver. That's Vancouver. Oh, That's yeah. what we're talking about. That's uh, what I meant. Yeah, we get snowed three in. inches. Yeah, when uh, when there's the snow days. So, but I mean, you, your streets are so like. I mean, you have so many hills. Like, I don't blame mm-hmm. you know. It, it is chaotic. Cause like even myself, like I only summer drive my Subaru and realistically I would probably drive it all year round there. Cause I mean, you guys barely get any snow, but yeah. you know, if we did get snow or if you guys did get snow and I drove it there, I would uh, be SOL. <laughs> it wouldn't be very good. Well, because we live right beside the ocean, we have kayaks, right? And we just take them down to the ocean. But when it snows, I load the kids into the kayak and we just go down the hill and basically end up in the ocean. It's this is cool. a true story, I believe. You, you did that last year or was it this year that you did that? Every year. Any year we get snow. I mean, we it's only for like two days, if that, mm-hmm. that there's enough on the ground. But uh, if we get that coming up, we will be out there. So uh, look for me. In your uh, kayak. In my kayak. <laughs> Several kayaks now going down the hill at high speed. Nice. Through traffic. All right, so uh, we, we had a poll last week, didn't we? We want to get to that quickly. Uh, we're doing those every week now. We're getting good response on them. Uh, Brennan, Brennan, we'll bring Brennan. it up. Yeah, I'm Brennan now. Uh, Brennan <laughs> Abbott are here. Brett's going to bring it up. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, one of the killer bees. Yeah, one of us. We're the same person. So last week we asked. I, I, uh, let's it, just get Brennan to bring it up just to see if he can as he sweats to try to bring yeah. that one up. Brett's going to bring it up. Yeah. So last week we asked, uh, what is your portfolio mix between Canadian and American stocks? So going from completely uh, Canadian to completely American, completely Canadian came in at 13% of responses, mostly Canadian at 41%, roughly equal at 20%, mostly American at 23%, and completely American at 4%. 
which skews to our audience, of course, because primarily Canadian. But it's interesting that at least most people are getting mixture between both of the countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that I was end up at voting the World in. Outlook. That was actually one of the four topics in my presentation was investing in the U.S. for Canadians, and I talked a lot about the reasons why Canadians need to have exposure to the U.S. Um, how the U.S. has outperformed Canada throughout almost all of the last decade um, and why I think that's going to continue to be the, the, the case going forward. So I was actually considering doing that as a topic today, but I realized that I, I also did that as a topic on the podcast a couple of months ago. So, you know, really the the slides are still pretty relevant now. Um, I don't know if, if Brad... Yeah, I'll link it. Yeah, I can link it. The, ...the link to that somewhere, but uh, maybe even on this video and then people can go check that out. Yeah, it is an issue we see with Canadian portfolios having too much exposure to the Canadian markets. And as Aaron has pointed out, you're you know, 50% resource and financials and you just don't get the exposure. And that's why we you know, cover the U.S. markets. The breadth of companies there is so much larger. At that and then a lot exposure. of people don't like the idea of the currency risk. But when you look at it, yeah. uh, historically, it's, it's not a reason to avoid investing in U.S. stocks. Um, in years, yeah. almost every year, I think it's eight out of 11 years, the U.S. has outperformed, um, and in every one of those years, even although half of those years currency increased your your return, the other half it decreased it. But even on years where you where it decreased it, the excess return of the U.S. market was still still quite uh, quite positive. So. Yeah, you have a great couple slides on that, so I encourage yeah. Brett is going to post that link and uh, yeah. go to it because it it it, it talks about how the currency really shouldn't be a huge factor in your decision-making process. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our first segment today. Aaron's going to talk about how you can and how to invest in AI or artificial intelligence. He's bringing up his slides as we speak, and he's going to share his screen, and uh, we're going to go through that uh, and Aaron's talked about this many times in the past. Um, it's We were kind of ahead of the curve on this subject, which is great, and have invested in a couple companies that are directly participating in this segment. And Aaron's... Yes, my pleasure. Okay, so obviously it's a very topical subject, investing in artificial intelligence. Uh, it's really... Last 18 months um, has been when this has exploded. It started around November 2022. That's when ChatGPT was released. And uh, since then, it's really been off to the races with new models being released. You know, a lot of talk in the media um, about how it disrupts industries, and then of course, investing opportunities for investment. So, you know, really to just to give a, a brief summary of what we think of AI or what I think of AI. Um, absolutely, these these innovations that we've seen over the past 18 months are incredible. They're real, they are driving innovation, they are great innovations, but they're driving other innovations in different industries and sectors, and it really has the opportunity to to reshape society, Um, possibly in many positive ways. There's also the argument in many negative ways, but, um, you know, that's the same with any technology. It can be used for good or for bad. So we want to focus here on investing uh, and investing in artificial intelligence. So really, I think even economically, from an investment perspective, AI, these advancements really have the opportunity to be, you know, the next phase of growth for society. Um, when we look at what has driven stock market returns, economic growth, you know, a lot of that really comes down to technological innovation. So the U.S. market in particular has been uh, in a bull market since the 19, a secular bull market since the 1980s, um, some of the best returns in history. And when we look at how the world has changed over that period of time, we had you know, the birth of uh, personal computing in the 80s, the internet, smart devices, uh, advancements in cloud computing, AI, and then generative AI more recently. So this is something that is important for investors to pay attention to. But I really believe that the opportunity, uh, at least right now, is not exactly what investors think that it is or what a lot of investors think that it is. So when people think about investing in AI or how AI can be a major investment opportunity, they think generally about um, investing in AI stocks. Whereas, there, although there are some limited opportunities, there are certainly, I see the opportunity really is how artificial intelligence can impact um, all, all sectors and all industries. So from manufacturing to finance, making them more efficient, 
um, making them more competitive, opening up new markets, as opposed to investing specifically in companies that market themselves as AI stocks. Now, there are some AI stocks out there that will be good opportunities and, and perhaps are right now, but I do believe people have to be very careful. So let's look at the reality and the hype of artificial intelligence in 2024. So the reality, as I just talked about, major advancements have been made over the past 12 to 18 months. This is accelerating. These are real advancements. They can truly reshape society, improve productivity, drive future growth and prosperity. Um, but then on the hype side of the equation is that AI has become the biggest buzzword in the market. And every company is an AI company now. Um, this is really a risk to investors because whenever you have such excitement about a specific theme, you you get a lot of promotional activities and companies that aren't really great companies that enter that market. And they just really want to use it as an opportunity to raise money from investors. And that's really what it comes down to. So the reality of these advancements is that it has made it incredibly easy to implement artificial intelligence. Um, and anybody now can really build an AI company. So that is both an opportunity, but it's also a risk. And it's a risk because the competition in this space has accelerated. There are a lot of companies coming out with new technologies, new apps, all of them with AI posted right on the top. Um, so the competition has really expanded and the barriers to entry have really have really declined. So there's not a lot of barrier to entry right now. Um, and just to get a sense of, of what this looks like. So in terms of AI apps, um, we can go to the lar world's largest um, AI app aggregation website. It's called There's an AI for That and see how many of these apps are being launched. Um, just in uh, October alone, almost 22,000 AI apps, newly launched AI apps were featured on this website. So, um, you know, many of these, not all, but many of these um, will call themselves companies. They will call themselves AI companies. They will claim to have the next big app, the next killer app. And really it's just an avenue to raise money. Um, the vast majority of these companies will never make any money in terms of revenue or profitability. Uh, and that is really the risk to investors is that there are teams of people out there. Some of them are doing really great work um, and some of them are really just trying to use this as an opportunity, um, a financial opportunity for themselves to raise capital. Um, but they can they can build products or they can build apps that look really impressive, but ultimately they're never gonna make money. So when it comes to investing in AI stocks, um, how do you really differentiate between you know, these companies that will just get lost in the mix that are never going to generate value for investors long-term versus the companies that actually have something that's real uh, that is going to be a big boom for, for investors. And it really comes down to revenue and profitability. If uh, a company has a great technology, they should be able to sell it. And it's the revenue and the profitability that really validate the business model. So this is the easiest thing that investors can look for as a very basic baseline level of analysis. You know, is this company, is this app actually producing revenue? Um, is it driving some of that revenue to the bottom line? If it is, then there is some validation of the business model and it's worth at least a further look. If there's no revenue even, um, then I would just say that it's speculative and nothing is proven. So I'm just gonna give a couple examples here. Uh, and these are all companies with revenues, but last year in our DIY, stock investing seminars, we did a segment on AI. And we talked a lot about this, about how certain companies really focus on promoting themselves as AI stocks, but generally the best companies in the AI space to invest in aren't spending as much effort talking about themselves as AI companies. They're just integrating AI into what they do. Um, so there's three companies that I focused on specifically, C3.ai, Soundhound AI, and BigBear.ai. Um, so these are all companies with, you know, over a billion market cap. Uh, they all have revenue, which is good. Um, but the reason why I focused on these three specifically is because they're obviously very focused on marketing themselves as AI stocks since they all have AI in the name. Um, and they're at least large enough that they're getting some attention from investors. So C3 AI. Um, so this is a software as a service company. Uh, they help customers rapidly um, develop and deploy large scale enterprise AI applications. You have SoundHound AI. This is conversational intelligence. They're offering independent AI voice platform. 
Um, then you also have Big Bear AI that provides their proprietary AI ML technology to the national defense and intelligence communities. So these are three companies um, heavily in the AI space. Um, they are all producing revenue. Um, and it all sounds good when you look at what they do. Um, but now let's take a look at financially how these companies look just as a financial snapshot as of today. So um, revenue, net income, this is trailing 12 months. C3 AI, about two, $284 million in revenue over the last 12 months. Pretty good. But they've lost almost that much. They've lost $262 million um, in, in negative earnings. And they trade right now at a price to sales of 12 times. Soundhound. Uh, $38 million in revenue over the last 12 months. They've lost $100 million on the bottom line. They're trading at 33 times sales. Big Bear AI, revenue of $155 million. Uh, they've lost $70 million. They're trading at 2.3 times. So the price to sales on Big Bear looks decent. But you know, we also have to remember, this is now a $360 million market cap company, but that's only because they've lost almost 80% of their market value over the last couple of years. So... Um, that's something that definitely has to be considered. Now, let's take a look at a company that is an established, profitable, growing business that has real competitive advantages in the space. Uh, and this would be Microsoft. Um, so Microsoft, $227 billion in revenue over the last year, uh, net income of $82 billion, So good, strong margins, consistent growth, trading at 13 times sales, uh, and then trading at 37 times earnings. Not extremely cheap by any means but still a reasonable valuation when you're looking at a high margin business that is growing and has real competitive advantages in this space. Um, and then when we compare the share price performance of these companies over the last three years, Microsoft is actually the only company in the group that has had a positive return, about 81%. Um, now compare that to uh, C3, Soundhound and Big Bear, all of them negative. Uh, Soundhound is uh, down only about 17%, but they actually had a big boost just today in their share price. Uh, the others down 75, 77% over the last couple of years. And this is what happens when you invest based on excitement and hype, um, as opposed to looking at the actual underlying fundamentals. Now, I believe probably these three companies do have some competitive advantages in their space, but I would argue, given the huge net losses that we're seeing, they're still not validated as businesses, um, whereas Microsoft, you know, certainly is an example of a company that is validated and certainly does have strong competitive advantages. So uh, something to consider when you are looking at AI companies, you really want to pay attention to whether or not this business is actually making money as a validation of the business model. Uh, keep in mind that the barriers to entry right now are low. The competition is high. So you really want to stick to established companies that have a track record of growth and profitability um, and also real competitive advantages. In space. Um, qu quickly, just pulling up on the screen here, like I ended up finding this <clears throat> from uh, Yahoo, and this is just showing the times that AI is being mentioned uh, basically in uh, corporate earnings calls. So, you know, we saw this huge spike in 2023, essentially. Um, but now we're kind of seeing that, you know, fade off a little bit. So, you know, maybe some of these companies that were trying to take advantage and ride the hype are maybe, you know, profiling themselves as, you know, something else other than an AI. Who, who knows? Maybe they're going with the flavor of the day or it's just becoming less popular. Um, but we are seeing, you know, uh, it, it kind of pull back here. Um, well, I think after a while, this is actually a really interesting chart. So it looks like it peaked here in Q3 of last year. <laughs> Correct. And then now in, uh, in, in, in Q1 of 2024, it's, yeah, it's, it's down quite a bit. Um, you know, I would say that once, you know, you really start to get when the hype is early and not a lot of people, you're one of the first companies mentioning AI, you really get a bounce off of that. You get more attention, but yep. when everybody's talking about AI, it gets to the point where you really just start rolling your eyes. It's like, I don't want to hear about AI. I, I want to hear about revenues. I want to hear about profitability. I want to hear about expansion, competitive advantage. You know, certainly if AI is a big part of your business, you're integrating it, that's great. But, you know, I don't need to hear it mentioned 200 times in a conference call, right? Unless, uh, unless you're actually, you know, generating money from it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, not to, um, 
you know, pump Ryan's uh, head up bigger than it already is. But like, you know, his prediction in 2023 was, uh, you know, AI was going to be, you know, a dominant, uh, you know, headline essentially. And just look, you know, look at how many times in 2023 that it was mentioned. AI made the prediction for I also predicted that in 2023 it would rain at least once. One wow. or more times, and I was also correct with that. So, <laughs> you know, he did predict thing... that in 2022, though. I should mention that he predicted that in December. He predicted that it'd be big in 2023, yeah, <laughs> uh, December 2022. He wasn't doing it the day before. That's pretty good. Here. You know, I will also say, like, I mean, this is kind of a tangent off of the AI, but like for Ryan's projections that, or you know, for the uh, prediction special, you thought that there was going to be a um, high-profile deep fake. Uh, that comes out and you know it, it is like r-rated because it's a, a adult it was it was an adult you know f- basically deep where are we going with out. this brandon where are we going uh, with this <laughs> bobby altoff which is a, a podcaster that kind of came onto the scene last year um there ended up being a, a deep fake that someone created of her again not it was r-rated um and it started making the rounds on twitter and everyone thought that it was uh, real and it's not real um regardless that to say you know i'm just kind of confirming that you know you yeah know. I, I would say there'll be more but again once Probably. again my prediction on ai was predicted by ai so uh, i don't know who to That's give credit to really is that true. good or bad though <laughs> good credit or bad credit Aaron so we're has, uh, minus Aaron one off your credit. score I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. Minus one off your predictions for yeah. 2023. True. AI, not you. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to, I think we beat that one to death. No, it was it was a good segment. Thanks, Aaron. Um, and so I'm going to tackle Sandstorm Gold symbol SSL on the TSX. Its stock price is 548, $1.63 billion market cap, 1.42% yield. What does Sandstorm do? Well, they are a precious metal and streaming company, a royalty company as well, offering investors leverage to gold, low operational risk, strong margins, and exploration upside. Now, the questions surrounded the strong gold pricing environment over the past year and Sandstorm's price over that time in terms of what the stock has done. Well, gold was up almost 12% over this past year, so a good, strong gold pricing environment. What did Sandstorm do? Sandstorm over the past year was down roughly 17, 18%. Uh, so what gives here? Now, we do know the junior exploration and mining market has had a tough past 12 to 18 months with higher interest rates. Financing has been harder to come by. And the equity in markets have been not so so good for them as well. And the financing really dried up in 2023. This should, to agree to a degree, play into the hands of a royalty or streaming financing company who offer a different method when other methods seem more pricey. Uh, but it certainly hasn't helped Sandstorm stock. The market, again, can get things really wrong in the near term. So let's take a look at what is playing out here. Let's look at the recent numbers, the annual numbers reported by Sandstorm. See if, I, if they tell us a little bit of the story here. Well, you can see revenues were up significantly, over 20%. Uh, EBITDA was up 36%, so strong growth there. But if we look at cash flow on a per share basis, this is an adjusted cash flow figure. It was actually down almost 5% over the past year. Well, there is something at play here, a couple of things at play here. One of them would be Sandstorm's share count. As we can see, Over the past several years, particularly in 2022, there was a jump up. Again, this is an investment for additional growth going forward, but it's a higher, significantly higher share count today than it was a year to 24 months ago. And that plays into why you see a lower uh, per share cash flow. It's good to have that revenue growth. It's good to have adjusted EBITDA growth. There is per share, but there is not per share cash flow growth here. We also see, and I'll talk about this in a second, significantly higher interest expense. Let's look at some other highlights from this company uh, over the past year. Record attributable gold equivalency ounces produced, you can see there. Uh, again, record revenue, and we saw that. There's record cash flow from operations, but the per share cash flow on an adjusted basis, the ca- free cash flow was not higher. 
Again, a net income was actually down uh, over the past year. So let's look at valuations. Are they extremely attractive right now? Well, SSL trades with a trailing PE of 47, enterprise valued EBITDA of 13.3, and a price to adjusted cash flow of 12.6. Now, I would say these numbers may move higher over the next year, uh, all things in terms of share price staying equal, given lower expectations for EBITDA and cash flow. So our conclusion here, the company has taken on significant debt to invest for future growth, and that debt is becoming more costly. If we look at interest expense jumping just over the past year to $39.4 million from $17.2, that's more than double. Uh, while growth should be coming from these investments uh, over the next several years, it is not here today on a per, per share basis given the dilution and the current debt. This current debt will inhibit future growth as well. Uh, now, total debt reduction and monetization are highlighted by management. They are highlighting deleveraging. It remains a top priority for Sandstorm. I will quote them here. As of February 15, 2024, the company has $421 million drawn and outstanding on its credit facility to further expedite debt repayment. The company is undergoing a process to monetize between 40 and 100 million of non-core assets by the end of 2024. Accordingly, in the fourth quarter of 2023, Sandstorm closed its previously announced agreement to sell the L, Pillar, and Blackwater royalties for total consideration of 25 million comprised of cash and common shares. The company anticipates that consideration from future monetization efforts will consist entirely of cash. So it is now, it has gone significantly into debt, now selling assets, which does reduce cash flow in the near term and the future uh, to bring down debt. It's, it's an interesting strategy. Summing this up, the market currently expects Sandstorm to sell less gold in fiscal 2024, produce less EBITDA and less cash flow. So looking at this, current valuations are not compelling in my opinion. If the gold price does do well in 2024, uh, sentiment will likely help SSL perform well. But as we saw, you know, this is not always the case. We had good pricing environment in terms of gold in 2023, and this company did not perform uh, well at all over the course of the past year. So there was always company specific risk that we have to deal with as well. There, there are a few other things at play here in terms of um, SSL. Now, they, they have a mine that's going to be potentially coming online or a decision made on whether it's going to be built. It's called the Hod Madden Mine. It is, could be a significant royalty or revenue stream for this company. Um, it, was, it is primarily conducted by SSR Mining right now. Uh, SSR Mining recently had a disaster in its Coppler mine in Turkey. Not, there was a landslide. Nine miners were trapped, and SSL or sorry, yeah, SSR on that date uh, lost fifty percent plus of its share price. So there is some ongoing issues, um, and the decision on the Hod Madden mine may be delayed even further. So cash flow that could be expected in the future may be delayed. It does look like a mine that could go forward. It just may be delayed as uh, there's some significant problems at the operator. So there's a number of things going on here. But for us, we just look at the cash flow on a per share basis. Uh, great revenue, you know, good revenue growth at this business over the past year. Um, good EBITDA, but on a per share basis, the uh, cash flow, free cash flow was actually down. So yeah. that and again, I, I a couple months ago, I can't remember how long, maybe maybe three four months ago, I did a a podcast segment where I looked at all of the gold royalty companies, um, I believe in Canada and the U.S. Mm -hmm. And uh, so Sandstorm was obviously on that list, and that's one thing that I noticed is that the the, the debt leverage, I mean, the the valuation relative to cash flow was much lower compared yeah. to the peers, yes. but yes, the debt is. leverage was quite high. Um, yeah. Whereas the others were, you know, very low debt leverage to net cash, right? So it really stood out as being a high debt company. And, and uh, you know, that, that, that's a concern, particularly when other gold streaming companies are, are not. Um, always a concern, but when your peers all have these very clean balance sheets, it definitely explained why the valuation on cash flow was lower. Mm -hmm. So it's... Um, 
and and cash on hand for those type of businesses, uh, particularly, you know, if if you're not able to use your, I mean, they actually trade on a you know cash flow basis, EV to EBITDA on, lower than some of their peers. But then you don't want to use equity when you're trading at a discount to your peers, and then you know they've went significantly into debt relative to peers. So you get in the situation as how do you grow in the future other than the assets you've invested in. Uh, to date, which, you know, can produce some growth for this company. And, you know, they've issued a ton of shares to kind of bring that growth on in the future. But now they're in a situation where they're saying, you know, we're selling non-core assets, right? So you're bringing down your streaming base by selling those off because you went up significantly in terms of debt. And it just seems like a bit of a cash 22 in terms of where your growth can be going forward. If you tap the equity markets, you're going to be more dilutive than your peers would be tapping the equity markets potentially. And then when you, you know, if you look to go into more debt, you're going to have a, a far more debt laden balance sheet like you already do. If you go more into debt, you're going to get farther into debt than your peers. And, you know, you're always judged, you know, against your peers. And uh, if your peers offer less debt, have more cash, can take advantage of market conditions when they come about because they have cash in the bank. Um, it's hard to outperform the segment when you put yourself in that situation. And, you know, some of the streamers I think that have done the best have deployed cash flow from operations uh, more effectively and kind of done it at a slower pace than uh, potentially Sandstorm is trying to do. Yeah, like, and we, you know, included Sandstorm as a monitor in our 2022 cash rich report, you know, and then at that, at that time there, they did have a cash rich balance sheet. I think at like December 31st of 2021, you know, they had about net cash of, I think around 14 million, you know, no debt. They just had leases at that time. Um, but clearly, you know, a different business today. Yeah. Gotten very aggressive really in mm -hmm. terms of, uh, where they've gone and, and, and the share issuance significant too. So yeah, yeah that's, that's where you're seeing, you know, a, adjusted EBITDA higher, but, you know, cash flow for share, not higher. So, I mean, and that's, what's going to drive the share price over the long term. And yeah. if you don't have that, it's not surprising to me to see the share price down over the past year. All right, we're going to move on. I think Brett is going to stay within the gold space, a significantly smaller company, but uh, we've had several questions on this because we do follow a Miller uh, within Latin America and uh, this company, it, it does. It's not a direct comparable at all, but um, they are in the gold space. They are, uh, you, you know, in Latin America. So we've had questions on this company. We thought we'd address it on the podcast. Yeah, they both process gold in yeah. different ways, but similar. Yeah, uh, so it's similar of, enough. Yeah, New Lux Gold Ventures, symbol LUX or Lux on the Canadian Security Exchange. The company focuses on niche reprocessing of gold within Latin America. The company does environmentally friendly reprocessing of artisanal tailings, which is effectively the waste of small sized gold miners, which are normally using less technical uh, ways to extract the gold. So you have more effective uh, gold remaining within their tailings or their waste. The stock currently trades at about 13 cents a share, which is a market capitalization of 19 million. A quick look at the company's current projects. They have three ongoing project, projects, one being operational based in the Costa Rican gold belt. The facility has tailing agreements with over 30 regional mining sites. Before the purchase of any tailings, the company, they conduct in-house analysis. They test the gold concentration, see if it's really worthwhile for them to even take on the gold waste. The company is still investing in the property to build out production, and they're currently ramping up to about 80 tons per day, which is relatively small. The company expects recovery to be about 6,500 ounces per year, and they expect the cost per ounce to be about $600. Next up, the company has the Boston Project, or Project 2, which is a second plant based in Costa Rica. The plant has begun commissioning work, so it's operational, but not really going at full steam. They're just really seeing how it well it operates, building up their processes and so on. At this time, building up their feedstock from the artisanal miners. And they expect this plant to be able to process up to 150 tons per day at a material grade about 15 plus or minus 15 grams per ton, which would result in gold recovery of 90%. 
and the expected full scale recovery is about 20,000 ounces a year. So about just around three, three X per ounces per year, year as it's going to have a higher grade recovery and about double the tonnage of their first plant. Last, the company has an early stage project in Antioquia. I am, I know I'm saying it wrong, but it is a province in Colombia where it has completed its due diligence and has agreed to purchase 100% of the project for mineral processing rights within the region from the artisanal miners. The project has a 21-year term and the company plans to construct a facility that can process upwards of 1,000 tons per day, which is obviously a massive step up because even combining the two other projects, you're looking at 4x the processing power just from the one Colombian project. But moving on to the most recent financials, which is fiscal Q2 2024, which ended September 2023, so Q3 calendar 2023. The company does have quite a bit of significant quarterly variance at this time, likely as the operational revenue and costs are really only related to the one plant. And of course, they're building everything else. So you have a lot of one-time costs, R&D, capitalization, which would result in more depreciation during quarters. So you have quite a lot of variance of on screen. If you are viewing, there's a four quarter summarization or sorry, an eight quarter summarization. But over the last, for the last quarter, revenue fell to 663,000 compared to 1.2 million in the prior quarter or 868,000 in the prior year. Likewise, gross profit also fell to 241,000 from 960,000 and 656,000 in the prior year and quarter respectively. And net loss was 532,000 compared to 800 or 485,000 and 348,000 for the prior year and quarter or quarter and year, I should say. So the last quarter out of all of these last eight quarters has been the weakest management and in their MDNA. And they, I couldn't find any additional news releases or press releases. They don't actually give a reason why this was specifically weaker. So this would be a question which we would ask if we were to call them. We'd be asking why was this quarter weaker? Because notably their gross profit margin was quite a bit lower. You're looking more, no, closer for the last few quarters, about a 70% gross profit margin versus the last quarter, it was only about 33%. So quite a bit of a difference there to say the least. So that'd be something we would want to follow up on to figure it out. The company doesn't seem to be great in the press releases or their uh, disclosures in some senses. They actually had a delayed audit, the financials for their year, and then they seem to push out their fiscal Q1 and fiscal Q2 in short notice as well after the delayed audited financials. So that's something you always do want to be watching out for is what information they're releasing because they actually don't release their uh, gold ounces process per quarter. They only have done that for on a yearly scale. So you have quite a bit of gap in knowledge during that time period. But moving on as well, some viewers may have noticed during that prior eight quarter summary, EPS for all but one of the quarters was zero dollars, zero cents. And this is because the company has significantly outstanding shares for the market cap. They have 148 million shares outstanding at the end of the quarter compared to 146 million for the same period last year, which is a small in- increase for uh, really in the same sense of a junior miner or really building out their capital, same industry, non- non-junior miner, I should say, kind of like a junior processor, I guess would be the, how you describe them. So a, about a 1% increase in shares is actually quite low for a company of that type. But the company has been diluting with options and warrants, which obviously have not been executed at this time. And since they're out of the money, they're not considered uh, dilution for the accounting standards. So the company currently, at the end of the quarter, they had 12.7 million options outstanding, which 1 million would have expired out of money since then. And they had 21 million in warrants outstanding at the end of the quarter, which as well, those warrants have been extended their maturity date which they were initially all expiring within December of 2023, but they were extended out to 2024 effectively, giving it more time to become in the money warnings. As well, since the end of the quarter, the company has sold additional convertible debentures, which is kind of like a middle point between a preferable share and uh, some sort of a fixed income instrument. So it has a 10% interest as well as it is convertible. And as well, during the same offerings, they were offering warrants at 25 cents. So if you added the warrants plus the convertible debentures, if they were fully converted, fully exercised, you see about another 10.3 million in shares on top of what would be diluted. So overall, you'd have about 192 million shares outstanding if the company were, or if the share price were exceeding 25 cents uh, per share by the end of the year, which is would add about 30% more shares 
to their current count. So obviously, you could see quite a bit of dilution over the next year if the share price actually rises because of all these convertible and warrants and options and all that. As well, the company at the end of their last quarter had a net debt position of $2.35 million. However, that exact value, I will say, has probably changed quite a bit since, since they're doing all these uh, tranches of uh, debenture raisings as well as warrants. And as well, they're doing capital expenditure. So they're, I wouldn't be surprised if they're actually further into a net debt position as they're investing in these projects. But really, to summarize, the company's current product plant in uh, Costa Rica is relatively small compared to its growth plant, specifically the Colombian project. It's the current Costa Rican project could really be seen more as a pilot project more than anything, as the country really just doesn't have the scale of gold mining operations. The Boston project, which is their project too, will add some sort of cash flows to the calendar year 2024 as it ramps up production throughout the year. But it's really key to watch how much, what their margins are, and how quick they're able to acquire that feedstock and any other disclosures that they can possibly have. The big test, though, is their expansion in Colombia, and that's really the pivotal point for new locks. As well, on the risk side, you may need to worry about equity dilution, as well as the interest expense on top of those debentures, as well as the usual commodity risk with literally anything to do with gold. It is lower than a miner, as they are a processor, and it's based on a spread more. But that is obviously still risk. If gold goes down, mining goes down. Therefore, they'll have less feedstock or worse feedstock. As well, the company has significant execution risk. If the Columbia project fails or falls apart, gets delayed, derailed in some sense, you could see a very big, uh, more. You could see quite a bit more dilution as you have to wait, really stall out the company. They still have to meet other cash flows, as well as if it became more expensive, there's more dilution there. So you really have to watch how they're progressing the Colombian project. So really what I would like to see is hit that point of where internal cash flow is actually funding their growth, unlike now where they're using these external funding methods, mainly equity, tech, bit of a fixed income with their debentures. But you'd want to see their operational cash flows flood into their investing cap capital instead of seeing external financing. So then you're seeing less dilution, which means more return to the shareholder in the long term. So for now, I'd really just wait to see how the Boston project contributes and as well as the progress on the Colombian project. Yeah, I, I, it's a good summary. I mean, it's interesting what they're trying to do, um, you know, to get there. You know, you got the share count up to 150 million and, uh, you know, a minimal revenue base really at this point. The expansion could add to that. But, you know, like it, over the past 12 quarters, I think they have two of operational profit and it's just very marginal. Um, so you know, to produce an actual earnings per share, like they're going to really have to ramp up revenues and, and to do like a cent, you've, you know, you've got to have <clears throat> almost more than a couple cents. You got to have almost more than they have in revenues and earnings right now. And then it's just that that's not doable. Uh, so, you know, we'll continue to monitor the company, but again, when we look at these smaller companies, we do look at share structure. And in this case, um, it, you know, there's probably going to have to be a rollback at some point, uh, you know, of shares. And then maybe if they take bring those products online or the new projects online, they've had the rollback, the share structure looks better. Uh, perhaps there's some cash in the bank at that point. But I mean, we always like we don't have a direct comparable as a peer, but, you know, in that in the gold processing industry within Latin America, uh, we can buy a company with double the amount of cash in the bank in, compared to this company's market cap and a far lower multiple to earnings. There is no PE here because there is no earnings or price to cash flow. Um, we And ha it has the same expansion ability, uh, plus it can do it without dilution. So those are the companies that we prefer relative to a name like this, even if this company is doing something rather you know, interesting potentially in the market. If I wanted to make a list of just red flags when it comes to investing that, that people can look out for when they're deciding on a company or not, having a large number of shares outstanding when you haven't even achieved profitability yeah. yet, um, and then also debt on top of that would be one of those red flags. Now, that doesn't mean that the company won't end up doing okay, but as of right now, I would be concerned. It's something that we would potentially, well, not potentially, we would monitor it 
Um, and if things started to improve, who knows? But as of right now, when you're looking at a company that already has almost 200 million shares outstanding, fully diluted, yeah. fairly minimal revenue and no consistent profitability, that that's plus net debt. That's a red flag for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 how they've they've built out the business through issuing equity and some debt, and really haven't had the dis- discipline to create profitability. Mm-hmm. Where there are other businesses out there, maybe not you know have they don't have the ambition to grow as fast, but they grow more steady. And then when you build up cash, you can actually take a step forward in growth as you get to you know ten years into the business, twenty years, thirty years into the business at times uh, because you've been disciplined you built up that cash and take advantage of some market condition some opportunity you have in the market uh you can't do it if you build it in this structure right yeah there's got to be a lot i mean again this isn't the worst business out there there's about we can list 600 junior miners that it, they're not even trying to make a profit at least this company is endeavoring to make revenues Go out there and, and do something. They, you know, employing it, people that are actually working and creating cash. Uh, you know, creating revenues over time. We'd like to see more cash flow, but uh, we're very stringent in our criteria, and we compare this to the best of the best in its sort of quasi segment, and it's not there yet. So it wouldn't meet our criteria at this stage. Yeah, and that, that's where I really mean is when they're bringing in enough internal cash flows, so you don't have to rely on the external. Your funding. Yeah. And that, that's really what we want to see is the company itself, the operations are making a business. They're not just a capital raising machine, which is just a, an epidemic for junior miners. And then obviously they are doing that to a degree, but not as fast for junior miners, I should say as well. Yeah. And, and that's why they are public. We should, a public company should be able to access the public markets and raise equity that way. But uh, do it on their terms. If you do it on the market's terms or the, you know, the brokerage industry terms or when you're desperate, it just leads to sh- shareholder dilution. And, and it's, it's just not something that we want for investments that we are recommending to our clients or invested in ourselves. Yeah. All Talking right. about uh, ugly capital structures, that's a great segue into my segment. If you want to... Uh... He found one. Yeah. And I mean, again, this company generates significant revenues and yeah but th- there has been debt and uh equity issued yeah. significantly over time right yes yeah, so but we're talking uh, about well health right exactly we are talking about well health so uh yeah well health uh this came in from shadow jedi 007 via youtube um so jedi uh, 007 yeah that's, shadow jedi yeah. W- 007 wow. that's probably one of your guys alias's your burner accounts just kidding. It probably isn't. But uh, Well Health Technologies, W-E-L-L on the TSX, uh, currently trading at a price of about $3.84, a $924 million market cap. And the company provides omni-channel healthcare services, including primary care and allied health clinic operations uh, for gastrointestinal, mental disorder, specialized care, diagnostic services, and telehealth services. And the company also operates an electronic medical records platform, billing and revenue cycle management solutions, and cybersecurity protection and patient data privacy solutions. So the last time we included uh, Well on the podcast was back in 2021, uh, and Ryan covered it when it was trading at about $7.50 per share. Uh, and since then, we've seen the stock pull back to about you know $2.56 in late 2022, but the stock did have a stronger 2023, bringing it back to about the $4 range where it trades at today. Now, clients are somewhat familiar uh, with Well. Uh, as the company acquired CRH Medical uh, at $5 per share, which was actually a company that we had under coverage with an initial buy uh, in the $4 range. Now, Well has operations in both the US and Canada uh, with over 530,000 quarterly visits in Canada and over 505,000 in the US. So looking at some of the recent updates, so February 1st of 2024, Well agreed to sell all of the issued and outstanding shares of its subsidiary IntraHealth Systems to Hell Well or yeah, Hell Heal Well AI uh, for a total consideration of approximately 24.2 million. Uh, furthermore, Well also completed the acquisition of Heal Well's performing clinical uh, assets in Ontario 
and as a result of the transaction, uh, Well became a new control uh, entity of Heal Well, holding between 22.7 and 32.7 million shares, or that's about 21% to 27%, uh, depending on whether Well receives payment of the post-closing $5 million uh, in shares. Now, Ryan's going to love the second one. Uh, on December 7th of 2023, Well announced that it was selected by the Vancouver Canucks as the official medical services provider, uh, meaning Well is now an integrated part of the Canucks medical team providing leading edge diagnostic imaging, uh, sports cardiology, and pain management services. Uh, on November 21st of 2023, they launched or Well launched their Well AI inbox admin, which essentially is an AI powered system that creates efficient custom workflows to help optimize clinical operations and manage incoming fax documents, which seems, you know, like an old technology, but in Canada, especially uh, the health sector still relies quite heavily uh, on fax. Um, and an initial pilot uh, involving six of Wells clinics uh, has begun. And lastly, here on October 26th of 2023, uh, Well acquired, um, uh, or Well's cybersecurity business unit, Sycura, acquired uh, two cybersecurity businesses, uh, Seek Into, uh, as well as ProAc. So moving on to the actual financials now, uh, Well's revenue growth has been very strong, driven by acquisitions and organic growth. Uh, the most recent financial results were for Q3 of 2023 ended September 30th of 2023, and revenue was up to 204.5 million, which is an increase of 40%. And this was driven by about a 27% increase in patient services revenue in Canada due uh, to organic growth from expanding into Alberta. While on the U.S. side, patient services increased about 52%, which was driven primarily by the Care Plus acquisition acquired in 2023. And although the company has posted strong revenue growth, the company's accounting earnings per share remain negative at a loss of three cents per share, while adjusted EBITDA was up, you know, 13% to 28.2 million, but they do have debt on the balance sheet. So, you know, the increase in interest expense is uh, somewhat the cause of that. Now, quickly looking at the valuations, uh, the stock trades at about 17.2 times trailing adjusted earnings, about 11.4 times trailing cash flow from operations. So they are cash flowing from operations, I believe over the first nine months of this year, I believe, so this is off the top of my head, I believe it was around 45 to 50 million uh, that they generated. Uh, and they also have an EV to EBITDA multiple of approximately 11.7 times. Um, and as I just quoted, you know, the price to adjusted earnings multiple, uh, the company does provide an adjusted net income figure, which was 12.8 million or about five cents per share, uh, which represents a decline of 11% year over year. And if we look at the adjustments that are made to net income, nothing looks too peculiar, which they are adjusting out. Uh, but I will say, you know, the company's stock-based compensation is certainly an impediment uh, to the company reaching consistent accounting profitability going forward. And looking at the balance sheet as of September 30th, 2023, uh, they had about 45 million in cash and debt and leases were about 404 million, providing a net debt and leases position of about 359 million and a net debt to EBITDA multiple of about 3.3 times. And I believe most of their debt is a floating rate, uh, but they do have a three-year interest rate swap uh, which they entered into last year, which they're locking in about 50 million of their debt with a fixed rate of around 4.7%. You know, so not only has the company been uh, taking on debt to fund their expansion, they have also issued shares quite aggressively as shown in the chart in my slideshow. Uh, with the company now up to uh, just under 250 million shares outstanding. And, you know, I, I must remind our listeners that an acquisition uh, growth strategy funded through, sh uh, through issuing shares can be successful, uh, but it, it is uh, a much harder path to growing cash flow per share than simply recycling excess cash flow into uh, acquisitions. Now, uh, looking at the company's Q4 2023 update, uh, the company announced that they expect positive EPS on both an adjusted and unadjusted basis uh, in Q4, and they anticipate record quarterly revenue once again. And for 2023, uh, 
it back in November, well upgraded its guidance uh, to between 755 to 765 million in revenue for fiscal year 2023. And they are guiding for fiscal year 2024 for revenue to be about 900 million uh, with what they're calling sustained gains in adjusted EBITDA and cash flow. So to conclude, uh, Well has shown great revenue growth over the past few years with revenue of just uh, $32.8 million in 2019 and is now up to over $700 million expected for fiscal year 2023 and $900 million expected in fiscal year 2024, as I said. Uh, the company's astonishing growth has been primarily driven by acquisitions funded through share issuances and debt. And overall, it is good to see that the company is producing cash flow, which will help the company pay down its debt, uh, which I would say is, is on the high side currently. Uh, and hopefully this cash flow will reduce uh, Wells' reliance on issuing shares. So given the strong acquisition and organic growth, the valuation of 17 times adjusted earnings and around 11 times price to cash flow and, uh, and about 11 and a half times EV to EBITDA, you know, the business looks reasonable given its recent growth uh, and management's talking about um, you know, about 30% organic growth in Canada and the US from just growth in patient visits. However, you know, this sounds good, but you know, it would be great to speak with management to get a better gauge on the trend line organic growth rate to help determine how reasonable those multiples really are, you know, considering this growth that we're expecting. So all in all, the company still has work to further progress into accounting earnings, reduce its debt load, and reduce its cadence of issuing shares. But if the company can begin to achieve consistent accounting and adjusted profitability and use its internally generated cash flow to bolster growth going forward, I think that there could potentially be an inflection point in the business in the future. But that is in the future as it has yet to be determined right now. And uh, right now, it is a stock which we will just monitor. And like Ryan said back in 2021, still one uh, which we are not recommending to our clients. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, it's not a bad business, certainly. No. It's it's admirable revenue growth. The consolidation that they've done is 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 significant. Um, obviously, we'd like to see a better per share cash flow growth. Um, they look to be targeting that 30% number in terms of order organic growth sounds very high yeah. like, and historically has not been near there for the business and like some of the businesses that they bought. So uh, we'll see if they can come close to that. We'll likely reach out and talk to management and go over that number mm -hmm. uh, to see if, you know, that's something that they really feel is realistic um, to do and how sustainable that is over the next, you know, three to five to 10 years really is what we'd like to see. Uh, we earlier in the year, we, um, this past year in the fall, we, uh, recommended a health, uh, software company, health related software company, and it traded about 10 times free cash flow. The difference, you know, there was that, you know, the organic growth rate was, you know, anywhere in the range of 15% plus, uh, you had the potential for acquisitions, but you, um, you had a net cash position in the business and no debt. So that was, you know, the difference, uh, what is, you know, well share price done since then? Well, it certainly hasn't done. I mean, that, that the other companies up 90% since November. Yeah. Um, well, um, I, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's not surprising to me that, you know, since September, the share price is down, uh, when you're, you know, you're in a significant debt position, they're trying to deleverage the business. Uh, these are better numbers that we saw out in January. It does pique my interest if they can continue that. But um, certainly it would be harder to continue to grow by issuing debt at this point at the multiple you were talking about to debt. It was 3. Yeah, 3.4, uh, I believe around there. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't yeah. like to see them go significantly above that. And then they think their share price is undervalued. Do you really want to issue equity here? So they, those again, you get in this situation, we have significant debt. And the market is saying, you know, interest rates are up. Your cost of carrying that debt has come higher. Uh, you, we don't want, you know, we're not rewarding you in the market with a higher share price. So it's your situation. How do you grow going forward when most of it was from acquisition? They're talking up organic growth. Potentially, that is an angle. Um, for us, if we got a business that can grow 20 plus percent organically, that's tremendous. 
So we'll talk to management and see how far we get in terms of their cadence going forward on organic growth. Yeah. One critique on my own analysis here, like, you know, in, in what you had is like, I, I should have showed up, you know, just like the cash flow per share over time just to show, um, which I, I don't have. Um, so, you know, bad Brennan. But uh, that is something that, uh, you know, oh, if someone Brent. is actually wanting to invest in the company, you should be looking at, you know, the cash flow per share growth over the long run. For sure. Okay, well, I think that's gonna end it for this week. Are we gonna, we're gonna give away one of these, we're gonna say some of the names, it's a mug, we're gonna mug somebody, but we're gonna say some of the names here that are already in there. Uh, in terms of the, or, or how about we don't say the names? We'll just say the companies that they, um, yep. asked. Yeah. Yeah. They asked about, I'm trying to pull up the names right now as I'm doing that. It's always good. So there's bank of Nova Scotia Enbridge. Uh, we had, uh, capital power asked about Cameco, Abitibi metals, next gen energy. Um, if you have inserted any of these the symbols here, NTNX, SMCI. Uh, these are the ones we pulled out. CAE, Exchange Income, and MDF. Uh, those have just come in in the last several days. If you still want to get in that draw, we're going to draw it live in the next podcast for these beautiful mugs and get mugged by Keystone. Then uh, send those in questions into our Your Stock, Our Take every week, and we'll draw one next week. Uh, again, keep those questions coming in. If you're watching us right now on YouTube, smash that subscribe button. And if you're view or listening to this on iTunes, rate and review us. And as always, only positive reviews. All right, that's going to kill our show for this week. I'd like to thank you for listening and uh, wish you profitable investing. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. <laughs>